Good to be here this morning. I hope that you had a joyful Christmas time with uh, your family, your loved ones, and your friends. I know that uh, it certainly has been a blessing for Tammy and I, and, and uh, it's, it's been good this year. I hope that it's been good for you. And obviously, we live in very difficult times and uh, a lot of stress, a lot of uncertainty, and, uh, but it is good to be here following uh, the celebration of Christmas, uh, the end of this year, um, and have the, the right, the privilege, and the blessing to be able to worship God uh, unfettered. And so it is good to be here. I want to look at the bulletins real quick. If we don't have your date on this, it's because we don't have that information from you. So if your anniversary or your birthday's not here, uh, you need to give that to us so that we can have it. But on the anniversaries, Matt and Ashley Ward, David and Don Kalenbrink. Uh, so I don't think they answer. So uh, Matt and Ashley, how long have you been married? 18, but you didn't say it with assurance. 18? Uh-huh. <laughs> 18, amen, amen. And David and Don, Don Kalenbrink. Don, man, I'm sorry we didn't bring a medal for you this morning. We should have. So, no. Uh, how many? David and Dawn? 32. 32. Man, 105. Forgive him, Lord, and be with the... So, and then on our birthdays, Hudson, Hudson Stasny, this, you know, earlier this week, uh, Hudson, Allison Sargent, uh, Ashley Ward, married and, and, and born in the same month, and uh, yeah, Mark Bendixson. 27th on the 27th. Wow. How old are you, Mark? Old enough? Old enough to know better. So so we're going to sing happy birthday to all of y'all, but you don't have to lead us this morning. I mean, you probably would want to, but we're going to sing happy birthday. Yeah, And who? What? Oh, Jewel, that's right. 93, and I knew that. I didn't see. You're here. Praise God. Uh, yeah, she turned 93 four days, five days ago now. Today, okay, I thought it was, okay. So it was in two days, not two days prior on our Christmas Eve. So today, 93 years old. Wow. I see that. You have some, yeah, I know one of them. Yeah, amen. Wow, outstanding. What a blessing. 93 years old. Wow, that's good. I, you got some good genetics there, Dubeck. I hope you use them, you know. Got a good wife, good genetics, you got no excuse. Uh, 93, what a blessing, amen. So I know that, uh, let's see, Justin, you're a good song leader. You stand up and you start us in happy birthday. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear everybody. Happy birthday to you. Mark Bendixson and Stasny and amen. Amen, it's good. We good. We should have that uh, wonderful time of fellowship. And then two other things that's noteworthy, and Larry's already mentioned one, but Chad and Brittany, your, bur- your baby is due in June, right? And yours is due in June. Now, you know what yours is going to be, right? A boy. Do, do we know? We don't know? Okay. All right. Amen. But the Lord knows. 
And, uh, and what a blessing. I would tell you, uh, I always tell you I don't believe in coincidence, and, and, and I've said that many times from a teaching perspective. In the bulletin you have, uh, I was going to be speaking on the Prince of Peace, and really for the last two weeks, um, I've been actually preparing a series of lessons out of this Deuteronomy 6 moving forward. And uh, it, it was really on my heart the last two days to go ahead and do that. And I'm trusting God with that. And I, so I say I don't believe in coincidence. Uh, the fact that we have two brand new parents that are here and, uh, you know, some of our Hanyaks are already here. And, but there is a message here in Deuteronomy 6 that I'm going to go ahead and start this week. We're probably going to be in this passage of Scripture for the next month. Um, I cannot think in my ministry at this point of where uh, in my personal life, but also in a ministry that has to do with the body of Christ, the Lord's church, and where we're at right now as uh, believers and where we're at right now globally as citizens of not just the United States but the world that we live in, uh, this place in scripture that Paul just read, the Shema, this sixth chapter of Deuteronomy, uh, I cannot think of a more appropriate series of lessons. And uh, there is a seriousness to them, a magnitude to them uh, that is really uh, foundational in our understanding of our life with God and our purpose in that. And so it's with a great deal of seriousness and uh, application that I want to speak to us over the next few weeks and as we go through the, the, this moment in Scripture, this moment in history, God and His people in Deuteronomy 6. Um, and it, it's especially meaningful to me because of where we're at historically. What we're doing here this morning in our uh, time together with the the prospect of new children and a 93-year-old and everybody in between and, and personally myself knowing uh, most of you, as I said, personally, and then the fact that we are. We're, you know, as a, as a global community, we're dealing with this word pandemic, but we're Christians. We're God's people. And so I want to read visit that Deuteronomy 6 and we'll just start in verse 1 through 3 um, now this is the commandment the statutes and the judgments which the Lord your God has commanded me to teach you that you might do them in the land where you're going over to possess it so that you and your son and your grandson might fear the Lord your God to keep all his statutes and his commandments, which I command you all the days of your life, that your days may be prolonged. O Israel, you should listen and be careful to do it, that it may, that it may be well with you, and that you may multiply greatly, just as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you in a land flowing with milk and honey. I do uh, want to couple of other places in this passage. Verse 7, you shall teach them diligently to your sons and shall talk of them when you sit in your house 
when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. And then go all the way over to verse 20 when your son asks you in the time to come, saying, what do the testimonies and the statutes and the judgments mean which the Lord our God commanded you? I'm going to tile those together. Verse 21, it says, then you shall say to your son. Uh, that will be the emphasis of uh, ensuing lessons in the weeks to come. But there is a, there's a foundation here. Moses, God's redeemer, you know the story. Children of Israel are now slaves in Egypt. Um, you know how Genesis ends, and if you're familiar with Exodus moving forward, God's people are slaves. Life is miserable for them. They cry out to God, and God does, in fact, send them a redeemer, Moses. He's also known as the lawgiver. God gives him the law, his Torah, his law to teach to God's people about how they ought to live and why they ought to live the way they ought to live. And so at this point, they're free. They're in the desert. They're about to spend 40 years in the desert, wandering around. And, uh, and God speaks to Moses, and Moses says, again, verse 1, Now this is the commandment, the statutes and the judgments, which the Lord your God has commanded me to teach you, that you might do them in a land where you're going over to possess it. Let's just start right there very quickly. One of the great misconceptions of Christianity in America and throughout the world today is that somehow something happened. Most equate it with the crucifixion, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus and a New Testament narrative. And they might go to places like Romans and Hebrews to really do a, a certain measure of something. In other words, the mindset is this. Well, there's the Old Testament and there's the New Testament. And so really, the Old Testament, we're not under that law anymore. Okay. And you could use certainly validate that thought with some passages in the New Testament, specifically the writer of Hebrews and, and some of Paul's thoughts. Here's the problem We'll just start here. 33%, almost to the percentage point, a third of the New Testament is Old Testament Scripture. A third of it. Jesus himself said, I didn't come to abolish the law, the Torah, that was given to Moses to teach you. I didn't come to abolish it. I came to fulfill it. Paul says to the Romans that the law is spiritual. It's good and it's necessary. However, what it does is it exposes your sin. If you didn't know what sin was before, now you know. So that's kind of in a nutshell. Uh, the writer of Hebrews says there's an old covenant and a new covenant. And so, but where in all of that did we decide, some preacher decide, that now the commandments of the Lord, the statutes and the judgments, at some level are insignificant and don't matter? Now, the bottom line is this. If you want me to do it very quickly, here's the, the thing that we need to know is what Jesus would have wanted you to know and what Scripture does, in fact, teach. The righteousness that's found in the law cannot save you. That's, it cannot. Now, he would end this section of uh, Deuteronomy in chapter 6, uh, and he says, it, verse 25, and it will be righteousness for us if we're careful to observe all this commandment before the Lord our God, just as he commanded us. So there is this term righteousness. It'll be righteousness for us. 
And by the way, very quickly, let me define righteousness. There's so many times people say righteousness in the Bible means that you're doing the will of God. God never, ever, ever, ever associates righteousness with doing his will, stopping there. He never does. In fact, the prophetic message in the Old Testament is that the prophets would say on several occasions that your, your observance of the law and the sacrifices, they're meaningless to me. I want your heart. The key here is to be careful and righteousness about righteousness that could be found associated with the law is a heart that says, I love God, and I know his intentions are always good for me, and I, my, I'm going to be careful then to observe his law. I'm going to do it on the basis of love. Jesus said it best. Scott, Jesus said, if you love me, you'll obey my commandments. Now, now we're talking. So the righteousness that's found in the law is always has to be based upon a careful observation because I love God. Nowhere is the law negated. Okay, can't find it. We have to do some worming around to, to, to get to that. Uh, there are decisions that have to be made. Okay, There's an understanding that needs to be observed. But then Paul would say, our righteousness that isn't found in the law to save ourselves is now the real true righteousness is a righteousness in faith, of faith. Because, so, but where do you separate faith from the law of God? That is a tricky deal. <laughs> oh, faith in what? Well, faith in God. Well, faith in God for what? So th- there's the righteousness that I'll be found in is the faith that's faithful, you know, having the righteousness in faith, faith in God. To do what? To be faithful. Well, how was I know that he was faithful? Because everything he said in the Old Testament came true through his son. That's what he was faithful in. The entire Old Testament is about, the entire Old Testament is about Jesus Christ and him crucified. I, I could tell you, anywhere you want to go, you can prove that point. Paul's great statement to the Corinthians, I presume to know nothing but Jesus Christ and him crucified. He knew the Old Testament, Genesis and through Malachi, memorized in three languages. When he wrote Timothy in 2 Timothy 3.16, it said, all scripture is God-inspired for reproof and rebuke and the training of man of, in righteousness. He wasn't, te- he, he wasn't considering his writings in that Setting, he wouldn't. He was talking about the Old Testament. We go to the book of Acts, 35 years, seven sermons. None of those sermons included anything from any of the epistles. The the, the seven points made in every sermon in the book of Acts, which 33% of that book is sermons, had seven points, and all of them came from the Old Testament law, Torah. Jesus was preached out of law, Torah. The righteousness that would be found by faith is preached, taught, and learned out of the Old Testament. And we have erroneously taught something else. But why is that so important? That's the kind of scholarly biblical stuff. But going back, God speaking to Moses to tell God's people something they needed to hear because of the precarious journey that was going to be before 40 years in the desert they didn't know how long it was going to be god did 
You and I don't know how long this pandemic is going to last. God does. You and I don't know the results of this election and how it's going to manifest itself in our taxes, in our freedoms, in our what We don't know. God does. And the only righteousness that we're going to be able to find some this life that says, I love God and I'm going to be obedient to him is going to be on the basis of faith, but faith in what? Faith, faith in the knowledge and the sovereignty and the power of God to say, this is what's right, this is what's wrong, it's going to be accomplished through my son, and it's your responsibility to live according to that. At no point, I read a passage out of Hebrews, at no point Paul would write in Romans 6, so should I continue to sin that grace may abound? Well, the sin is known through the law. He said, may it never be. Because Jesus Christ saved you, does not give you the right at any level to sin willfully or disregard, disregard the law of God. Satan would have you believe that it does. Weak-minded preachers would preach that it does. It's ungodly. It's unbiblical. It's, it, there's no righteousness that would be found in a mentality that says, I don't, I don't, I'm not required to keep the law. I can set it aside. Well, I just can live any way I want to. I would just like to see any evidence of that in Scripture. Because it doesn't exist. We don't keep the law to save us. We keep the law because because God has saved us. And we do it out of love. But now then, how does it transfer? What's the transfer? What's the meaning of that? Here's the measure of your life and my life. As he teaches this, there is a great foundational, unwavering, infallible, irrefutable truth. And he's going to give you these truths. And parents, newborn, I want you to hear it. The baby that's coming, the baby that God knew would be formed in your womb before the foundation of the world, before the beginning of time. All of us here, all of us here, the days of our lives have been ordained before our birth, before before our understanding of time. These words are self-evident. We use that term. And so here's that first lesson, truth. Now this is the commandment, again, this is the commandment, the statutes and the judgments, which the Lord your God has commanded me to teach you, that you might do them in the land where you're going over to possess it, so that you and your son and your grandson might fear the Lord that might fear the Lord your God to keep his statutes and his commandments which I command you. Stop there. What about that statement lacks any truth or would not be true or would cease to be true? What about that statement in light of the New Testament, Jesus Christ dying on the cross as a sacrifice for your sin, the righteousness that comes from God? When that statement, so when would any of that statement not be true? Eternally true, infallible, irrefutable, without flaw. So after Jesus died on the cross, was resurrected and ascended into heaven, 
this negates this statement? It's less valid? Think about that. Because here's something I want you to hear. He's establishing a point here. God commanded me to teach you that you might do these commandments, statutes, and judgments. Because you're going into a land to possess it. And not only is there a, a goal, there's an attitude. There's something that can be seen. And that is generationally your son and grandchildren uh, would have an attitude, an uh, intellect, an emotion uh, uh, of total and complete reverence for the Lord. Now stop real quick. Grace and Madeline and Zane and uh, let's see. We got all these youngsters over here. Hannah, Colton, Stasny, Austin. We got them all over. All these kids near near Catherine, Haley. You, from the day you were born, you were being taught something. Every day you're being taught something. We all are. I'm just starting with the young ones here. You're being taught something. And parents, I want to stop and challenge you for just a minute. I. I want to ask you a question. What are you teaching your children? If you don't know, they do. They do. They might not want to say that in front of you. But they would say, well, this is what I've learned from my mother and my father. And here's the problem that we face living as Christians in this world, this world is not our home and our struggle is with our flesh and the desires of our eyes cannot be fulfilled and we struggle with the very things that Eve struggled with in the garden and we live in the midst of spiritual warfare and then that great song, and I keep going back to it, it's just been playing over and over and over again in my head, uh, that the, stra- the things of this world would go strangely dim. Turn your eyes towards Jesus. Because our flesh doesn't want to look at Jesus. Our flesh wants to look at earthly things. And so, what does the earth have to teach us? The best is something temporary. The best. Now, what does the statutes, the judgments, and the commandments of God have to teach you? And now, parents, what are you teaching your children? Are you teaching them? But let me just back up. Again, Jesus said, if you love me, you'll obey my commandments. Have you ever just gone through the New Testament and said, what are the commandments of Jesus? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and all the epistles, and what Jesus speaks about in Revelation. I'm going to just do it quick. Here's the first commandment that Jesus teaches. Don't have to go to the Old Testament. And by the way, it's a commandment that has eternal consequences, whether you think you're a Christian or not, because Jesus says, there'll be many that say to me, Lord, Lord, and he'll say, depart from me. I don't know who you are. But here's number one. 
Him first. Him first. He, he, he has supremacy. He has... There's nothing he doesn't have that shouldn't be first in your heart, in your thinking, in your mind, in your spirit. You put nothing before him. You don't put your mother, your father, your children, your spouse, nothing before him. And in fact, he he has some very emphatic teaching, unless you hate them. He don't want you to hate your wife and your mother and your father. But if that's keeping you from putting him first, you better hate him. That's big boy theology. That's his words. That's New Testament law, Torah, commandment. And Satan so readily wants you to do this. He wants you to believe, well, there couldn't be anything wrong with, you know, loving my family and supporting them. And there's something terribly wrong if he's not first. It's sinful. That would be the first one. He gets first place. Your children know if you're teaching them that. They know if your work gets first place. They know if your, your passions get first place. And, and, and Satan would have you separate, to just delineate what that's supposed to look like. The first thing he wants you to do is delineate this, subvert this, water this down. And make all kinds of excuses. And you teach your children anything but the fear of the Lord. When, when you can decide that the, uh, the, the sports activity is more important than church, you've taught your children a lesson. When you, can, when you teach that their own leisure time is more important than church, when you teach them that you don't have to go to church to worship God, you have literally taught them not to fear the Lord, but to sideline the Lord. Come up with what seems to be a reasonable logic to support your own unfearing relationship with God. This is a hard thing to say. It really is. What greater gift could you give your children? Could you give them a, uh, uh, a sports championship? Would that be greater? Could you give them some recognition on the, uh, not just sports, you could do it with anything. Some endeavor that, that by all, it seems to be pretty worthy. But it delineates and it removes and it, and it puts and it sidelines and it diminishes God. If I'm wrong, please say, you know, Aubrey, I believe you're wrong. And I, I believe I can teach it through the statutes and the commandments and the judgments and the written word of God that you're just wrong. God, that would be so embarrassing for you. And it would be very harsh for me. Because I'd say, no, that doesn't exist anywhere in his law. And here's the beauty of God's law. The first thing is to put him first. And as you put him first, you know what he has done? He's put you first. Think about that. His law was designed to bless you. His law was designed not only as it would honor him, but to bless you. You can't find a law that would harm you 
You just can't find it. His law says things like this, though. His law. If somebody slaps you on the cheek, turn the other cheek. If somebody sues you for your jacket, give them your shirt. If somebody says go one mile, you go one other mile. And, and however you want to kind of walk around that and maybe just excuse that or try to conceptualize that or contextualize. Well, let's talk about the context. How foolish could that argument be? Because he says this. He says, love your enemy. That wasn't, there's no context in that other than that. That's for your blessing. Believe that or not, that's for your blessing. We're so ready to stand on our own rights that we negate God's rights. We're so ready to moralize my idea of what's morally right and then make God's law compatible with that rather than saying there's only one that's right and it's God and it's his word. And I'll not live by any other commandment. And I'll do it because I love him. And I love him because he first loved me. That's what his law says. And I didn't come to be served, but to serve. What should you be teaching your children? Should you be teaching them how to be a Republican? Or a Democrat? Or a good American citizen? Our scripture, the law says in the New Testament that we're no longer of citizens. Our citizenship is in heaven. There's no longer male or female. There's no longer free or slave. We're just all one in Christ. What should you be teaching your children? Their rights as an American citizen. Really? Wow. You see how unstable that is. We can't even decide what that is. The great minds in this country can't even determine what that is. What I'm trying to do is what Moses is doing here. He starts with these people, God's people, and this is the commandment that God taught me to teach. This is what he said, teach these people this. Teach them how to figure out how to get water in the desert. They're going to be there for 40 years. Teach them how to, get no. Teach them how to assemble a great military force as they move to these unknown regions. Of this. No. You teach them my commandments so that they'll fear me. And you can see it. You'll see it in their children. You'll see it in their grandchildren. You'll see it. I want to challenge, church, do you think that God's people fear God today according to his commandments? Once again, there's another one of those almost double-take moments. It says, you know, Solomon writes the Proverbs, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. And, and I've heard Christians erroneously use this, but it's what Satan wants us to do. Where it said, but perfect love drives out fear. <laughs> yeah, so at what point are you and I not to reverently, in our love? Now, you have to understand the word, that use of fear, and I get that. But I have to tell you something. I love Tammy, and I do not... This is not false humility, but I'm a lacking husband. But I know what God's commandment says to me, and it is a commandment, by the way. It's not a suggestion. 
about how I'm supposed to love my wife. Now, I have to tell you, the love of the Lord motivates me. I'm supposed to love her the way Christ loves the church. I don't, I don't think I can ever do that. <coughs> but it's the law, it's the commandment. But when I read the whole context, you know what? I need to not only want to be obedient to that, I need to fear. I need to reverence the sanctity of that commandment. Think about that. Just as I fear and have reverence for the sanctity of God's love for me, a sinner, a sinner. I want you to really, as we move forward, we're going to go verse by verse, and I don't care how long it takes, that you and I begin to understand in 2020, about to be 2021, God's children, what he's called us to do in Christ, associating all of that with everything that he said to us. Do this. Don't do this. And then he explains it. And please, and I hope to God that we never become cavalier about that. I hope we never hide behind the, the dissident voice of Satan in spiritual warfare that says, yeah, yeah, I don't really have to do that. Well, I'm not even quite sure what that means. Every word of God and every commandment of God and every statute of God and every judgment of God has been designed so that you and I will love him reverently, fearfully, adoring, love him. And then we pass that on to our children and then our grandchildren. What, what would be wrong? And I'm just going to use this word. What would be wrong if your children and your grandchildren knew that you feared the Lord? What would be wrong if your children knew you loved the world or you feared men? That's the beginning point here in the Shema. A basic understanding and there's promises associated with it. The possessions that God wants you to have. The promises that will be fulfilled. <coughs> A prolonged life. So we're starting here. We'll move forward in the days to come. We will look at the Shema. And we will consider what God has called us to do and the people he's called us to be in Christ. Let's pray. Father in heaven, <clears throat> thank you for loving us. Thank you for giving us your word, your commandments, your statutes, your judgments. Thank you for allowing us to see the reality of those in the life of Jesus. Thank you for gifting us with your Holy Spirit so that we could become those people that you need us to be. And we could pass that on to our children and our grandchildren. And we could represent it to a lost world that's looking for hope. This is our prayer in your son's name. Amen.